Hello, and welcome to episode 125 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Michael M., Kevin D., and Daylily A. to the Modern Manager community. It is really wonderful to have you, and I look forward to engaging with you on the members-only Slack group. If you're listening and you haven't yet joined, memberships start at just $2 per month. And if you work for a nonprofit or government agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. Learn more at themodernmanager.com slash join. Now, today's guest is Susan Clark. Susan is a former marriage therapist and Equus coach, while her partner, Chris Marie Campbell, is an Olympic rower. Together, they are co-founders of Thrive Inc. and authors of The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage, and The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. They also have a podcast with the same name, The Beauty of Conflict, for dealing with conflict at work and at home. As partners in work and life for over two decades, they've adapted their proven step-by-step process, honed working with Fortune 100 companies such as Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, AT&T, and San Francisco Giants to help long-term couples use conflict as a catalyst to greater intimacy, passion, and fulfillment. Chris Marie wasn't able to join us at the last minute, so I talked with Susan about being conflict-avoidant, the difference between conflict and a good fight, the role of emotion and vulnerability when dealing with conflict, how to confront conflict in a productive way, and pretty much everything about conflict. Just a heads up, there are a few spots where Susan does use a curse word at my request, so if you've got sensitive ears around, you may want to wait to listen to this one another time. Now, here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Susan. I am sorry that your partner, Chris Marie, couldn't be with us today, but I am sure that you will represent her voice beautifully and we'll have a lot to talk about. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. And um, she was actually missing this as well, but I think this will be, she's sort of here in, in some respects anyway. <laughs> you know? Yes, so. definitely in spirits. <laughs> yes. All right. So today we are talking about conflict, which mm-hmm. is everyone's favorite topic. So, <laughs> well, I'll just speak for myself. I know this is my favorite topic in that I am a I just like, I avoid conflict all the time. (laughs) I hate conflict. It's something that I know as a manager I have to do. I know as just a human, like we have to engage in conflict, but my MO in the world is if I can get around conflict and still get to the outcome I want, I will avoid it at any cost. But that's not really the best approach. So why don't you start us off by talking about why being conflict avoidant is really not a good strategy? Well, I mean, first, I do want to say, you know, we haven't really met anyone who's like, whoa, whoa, conflict, I love it. And probably most people would say that they would avoid it, or they enjoy a fight, which isn't the same as conflict, just to be clear, we could talk about that later. But and probably a large number of people are what I would call conflict avoidant. And I think the reason why it's so I mean, conflict is like the juice for possibility, although it gets a bad rap because it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's not easy. And for a conflict avoider, usually, you know, there's been a place for some point in their life there, you know, it seemed like their survival depended on not getting into that. 
And so we have very sophisticated ways of sort of adjusting and avoiding getting into the messiness because, you know, it's not like there's a crisp, clean way to get through conflict. So it is going to be messy, but it is natural. It's natural in our work relationships. It's natural in all of our relationships. And that's the piece that I think people, you have to have a good motivation to do something. And if anything, that's why we called the book, The Beauty of Conflict, because we wanted people to see there's a possibility here that's worth it, even though the path you're going to have to take to get there is going to be uncomfortable. Can we go back for a sec? Because you just mentioned the difference between conflict and like a good fight. And that really resonated with me because I really like to argue, but I don't like conflict. So I want to get back into what you were just speaking around. But before we go in there, can you just talk more about the, the kind of the difference of what is a good fight and like what's enticing about that or how is that different from conflict in the way that you're defining it? Well, I think a good fight in my perspective is I'm going to win. You know, it's kind of like a debate. I have the points. I know what I need. I'm going to, I could get this done. I mean, I, I, having coached a lot of different executives, a lot of times when I go in, they'll say to me, you know, I'm really good at firing people. And I'm like, you know, that's actually a last resort. Or I'm really good at, you know, making sure people do what I want them to do. And it's like, okay, both of those are very uh, one-sided. And that's more of the fight position than what I think of as conflict. Is conflict is a little bit of, in conflict, there's always some uncertainty. And that's the thing that actually makes it tricky, is there's not a, a defined certain outcome. And we are so geared towards certainty that we, you know, that's how come a fight is, you know, hey, I will fight to win versus, no, I'm going to get into this so that I can come up with something totally different. And that's a whole different strategy, which I think is what you need to have going into conflict. You know, we're at a stuck point, not at a, I've got the right answer and I'm going to drive it home. Oh, that's interesting. Because in my experience or the way that I was kind of defining it was a little differently, which was that conflict involves emotions that involves like this centering of who we are in the experience and that like I'm feeling hurt or someone else could be feeling hurt or I could be hurting someone. And therefore there's this emotional driver around conflict. That's really hard. Whereas a good fight, or at least for myself is like around external content. Like we can argue forever about data analysis or how people behave or what is the right strategy, but it's not who I am. It's not to my core. It's external. And therefore it's comfortable to engage in because I don't really have anything about myself that's at stake. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I mean, I would agree with you that in conflict, there is an emotional element for sure. I also think there probably is in a fight as well, although it's getting overridden and that's actually why it's you know goes in a different direction but i like how you brought up that emotional piece cuz for sure we are almost always in our survival mode trying to protect ourselves from something i mean our rational brain we think our brain is what's going to get us to the next evolutionary point it's not it's really going to come when we actually can use our heart and our brain and and our emotions all together and that's it is most of us are not comfortable in that emotional feel so I I would agree with you on that. That is a, a big part of, also a big part of conflict. And it is a part of fighting, but it's a defended part of fighting. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's go back to what you're just saying about like this conflict being the moment that can birth something bigger, better, creative. Tell us more about that. Well, even in our own brains, you know, our brains function, we get to new ideas because something sparks. It's that spark that kind of takes you to the next step. Even in your own brain, that's how it gets wired up. And it's the same with people. You know, we have differences, which is the in vitally important. And we tend to want to, though, get control of that situation pretty quickly. And as a result, we actually cut off from the, the very thing that would get us to something innovative, creative, and new, which is to give more space for all of those different perspectives to be a part of the mix and hold on to it so that you can actually then get to something beyond what's known. Because creativity is something outside of our constructed right-wrong position. And the only way to get out of that is to allow for everything to show up in it. And the risk is it's going to be too messy and we're not going to get there. But if you don't actually attempt it, you for sure aren't going to get there. You're just going to get to the loudest or the leader's perspective. And that's not innovation necessarily. So can you maybe talk about some of the things that we do that don't get us there? And then we'll get into some of the things that you could or should be doing to help push you past that kind of opportune moment. And you have a specific term for them if you want to share that. Oh, you mean the, the what we call the classic Oh shit moment. That yes, yes. Yes. Is it okay if I use that? <laughs> yeah, we'll put a warning on. It's all good. Okay. Okay, good. Yes, because for sure that is that moment is precious. And most of the time it is something that we try to mitigate, avoid, manage. When we when we first released our book, and you know, the Harvard Business View was putting out things like how to manage conflict, how to uh, and right away, I was like, wait a minute, you don't want to just manage conflict because that's actually a lot of times the avoidance of conflict. You have to be willing to kind of dive into it. And that's what we think of is really being in that oh shit moment because you have to be willing to feel that uncertainty. You know, you were talking about the emotional piece. You have to be willing to kind of be in that moment where you don't actually know that this is going to work out. And that's hard for business leaders because they're, you know, they're paid to have the right opinion, the strong, be business experts, know how to lead people. Have, and it's really tricky to be willing to kind of be in, well, I know a path we might be able to get there and I'm not certain. And I still want us to go in that direction because I can help us navigate. That takes a pretty masterful leader to be able to hold that space. And that though is where really profound things can shift. Really, it's first and foremost, being able to understand your own oh shit moment. Like what happens, because what happens is when tension goes up, when you start to kind of feel like, wait a minute, there's something here between you and me. And, and internally, you can feel that tension. And it's a little bit uncomfortable. And so you want to try to, okay, what can I do to get back to normal? I mean, I actually, even though during the current times with COVID, that has definitely jarred our system into one big global pandemic, oh shit moment. And everyone's feeling it to some degree, and we don't have an answer to go back to the normal state. So in some respects, we're in this uncertainty kind of constantly right now. And the ability of 
it's the same thing that actually happens in a business as well, really. And the ability to hold that space and be willing to kind of be more vulnerable, like, I don't know if I have the right answer. I think if we have this discussion, if we get into this, our differences, we might come up with something. That takes a lot of courage and takes a lot of willingness to say, I don't know if someone here might have a better answer than me. And in leadership, we've often been paid to have the answer. So it's kind of tricky to then step back and say, now my job is to not have the answer, but to hold the space to discover that answer. That's the difference between, in my mind, leading and managing. You know, and managers have to kind of have a little of both. And then they, you know, kind of keeps building up that ability to tolerate it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it sounds like there's a little bit of letting go of power and control that has to happen too, right? That when you're in this conflict space, that even if you have a strong opinion, even if you think you know the answer and it's the other person who is, you know, being difficult here, there's an element of saying, okay, even if I still think I have the right answer, I'm going to give space for this discussion and question myself and say, okay, let's just see what happens if I open the door to say, maybe my answer isn't the only answer or isn't the best answer, right? Like there's, there's like a a power opening or a shift in power dynamics that has to happen. Exactly. I, I, I mean, you've, you've named something that I think is fundamentally critical to leadership, you know, working with people is the ability to kind of navigate that. I think it is sort of a continuum between power, which is sort of, I can exert control over my world. I can make things happen. And also the other side of that in, in the way we look at it and talk about it in the book is this concept of strength, which comes from the inside of me. It's not, I'm not going to dominate. I'm actually going to get clarity from inside myself. And there's more vulnerability in that because I don't have a defined, I'm going to take a risk then. I'm not, I'm not just going to move the things around to get control over things. I'm actually going to risk that I don't know and expose that possibility. And now leadership, in my mind, is sort of navigating between those two things. Somebody who's, you know, able to recognize there's a time and a place to be in a role and take control. And there's a time and a place to be much more, I have a point of view. I don't know if it's the right point of view. I'm going to share it. I'm going to be honest about it, or I made a mistake. Those vulnerability things are just as important to be able to influence and encourage people to show up. And leader, I think a a good leader or manager has to learn to navigate that first inside themselves. And that is challenging. So it makes me think that maybe another or different type of conflict and experience that people might feel is when someone says something that is hurtful or that, you know, their, the perspective they're bringing into the room is ignorant or, or, and I'm thinking about this a lot because with what's happening right now on our, in our social movements around Black Lives Matter, I've been in so many conversations recently where it's really hard to, one, want to say something because I'm so afraid I'm going to offend somebody. But I also know that like, I have, I have to talk. I can't like opting out. Isn't a healthy thing either. Right. Right. Or I just witnessed this beautiful moment where one person said something that made perfect sense strategically. And another person spoke up and said, I just want you to know that while I agree conceptually with you, the way that you said that was really offensive. And let me explain why I am so hurt by this. 
And it was this lovely exchange. But the fact that that woman spoke up and said, you hurt me in the way that you said that or the way that you framed that, like that could not have been easy for her. And you could see it all over her face, the way that she was, Mm -hmm. you know, so emotional about what she was explaining. And so that feels like a different kind of moment of leadership where you have to get comfortable with risking that you're going to offend someone or say something wrong, or that you have to speak up and let someone else know that they said something that really doesn't sit well with you. Exactly. And that is, I mean, I I want to give a shout out for Brene Brown because she has brought up the concept of vulnerability and made it something that's actually talked about in the business world and community, which is vitally critical to being able to handle those types of situation and something that is not easy. I mean, I I love how she talks about it. It really is courage. We are, uh, business leaders are okay talking about courage, but really what is courage? It's vulnerability. And it's that willingness to, one, I I have to be willing to speak up and I am going to make mistakes. I'm going to offend people. I'm going to say the wrong thing. And in that moment, can I have the courage to go, oh, look what just happened. And you're giving me some really important feedback. I may not even like the way you're giving me the feedback. Because sometimes when you've offended somebody, they, they come off really strong. Like, you cannot say that to me. And but my job as a leader is to go, well, wait a minute. Obviously, I said something that you found offensive. I'm interested. I'm curious because I didn't, I don't want to use the old excuse. It wasn't my intention and I didn't know. So help me learn. And that takes really a a lot of courage. But in that moment, I could learn what did I do that was so upsetting to this person. And I can also be able to kind of, okay, I get that. I did do that. And there might be more, but if we can both show up at that moment with that vulnerability and curiosity, there's a learning that can happen for me, maybe around how I might be blind or biased to my own, uh, you know, what position. And there's a possibility that whatever was good and what I had to share might still be available. But first, this other piece has to be acknowledged. So are there other things that we can do to kind of you know, help catch ourselves when we're falling into the like heat of the moment. Like I'm thinking about this emotional state of kind of being triggered or the fear of saying something or the defensiveness that comes. Like are there other tips or tricks that you have for kind of how do you engage in conflict productively so that you don't allow some of the natural instincts to go and, and derail you or your conversation? Yes. I mean, this is where, you know, one of the things that I so appreciate about Chris Marie, who's not here, is that, you know, she, she was an Olympic athlete. So in some respect, in athletics, you actually, she learned very quickly how important it is to take ownership and recognize her own nervous system responses to things. And, you know, on the athletic field, we tend to get that that's important. Now we're beginning to see how critical it is to business and, and a way of life. In the sense that, you know, one, if I'm going into a situation where I know there might be some differences, the first thing is to breathe. I mean, it's a simple free resource that most of us do not take advantage of. 
And I'm not necessarily just talking about doing yoga or mindfulness or anything. I'm talking about paying attention to your breath. And the reason for that is you're not just in your head. So it could be as simple as taking a deep breath, feeling your feet on the floor, because you have more resource then. And if you can get to that resource, you're not just on your own storyline. And that begins to broaden the possibilities. But, it, you know, the thing about it is you have to kind of learn, okay, what are the signs and signals that come for me ahead of time before I get to that point where I'm just in my reaction? Can I begin to develop an understanding of, yeah, I start to get a little tense. I start to, I'm, I'm kind of obsessing in my head. Those are all signals. My stomach starts to churn, my shoulder. The more I can identify the cues that let me know that I am getting into a state of stress, the more I can actually do something to bring myself back down that curve. And we tend to make decisions in business at the top of that curve, which is a low resource state. Frankly, you know, you're sitting at a table, people are just shooting ideas off, and sometimes it's gotten a little heated, and usually we're at a low resource. So someone in the room needs to take a couple deeper breaths and get back down to a more resource state to be able to show up. So the first thing is breathing and maybe just even, you know, I, I mean, it's going to sound so basic. People aren't going to think it's valuable, but it's huge. Feel your feet on the floor because it'll make all the difference in the world. Feel the seat shift into your body and sensation versus just what's running in your head. I love those things because I have benefited from those exact <laughs> kind of techniques of just going from the mind into the body. And I am yeah. not a like woo-woo kind of person. I cannot stand <laughs> when meeting leaders start their meetings with like, let's all do some breathing or let's have a moment of silence to just focus. And I'm like, uh, hurry, let's get through this already. But it really does help. So I just want to give a shout out for anyone else who's a skeptic, like I was, <laughs> that these things really do help ground us and can be really helpful when we're having those difficult moments. Can I tell you one story that I think, you know, for me highlights just how important this is? This is a, one of my clients early on who was a, an executive in a large, you know, uh, telecommunication, and he was having heart palpitations. And he had gone to medical people, um, you know, and they, he, they cleared him. There wasn't a medical heart issue or anything else. And he came to see me because he was like, I keep having these heart palpitations. I'm definitely you know, it's creating a performance issue. And, you know, I suggested to him that, you know, maybe this breathing thing, I said, I know you're going to balk at this. Every, every leader I talked to, you know, this was a, you know, a while back before breathing became a little more of a good opportunity. But I encouraged him, I said, well, I want you to, I want you to try this, like, every hour and a half, you know, just go into your office Find a piece of music you like, breathe, close the doors. No one needs to know what you're doing. It only needs to be because there's in your nervous system, it takes two minutes sometimes if you've gotten too charged up to kind of get back down to that low resource state. So I encouraged him, one, whatever music you like, just breathe, try it and do that on a regular basis, every, at least every hour and a half if you can. And uh, he was very skeptical. But he started to do it. And uh, pretty quickly, within a week's time of you know, his commitment to that, the heart palpitation stopped. And, but what was even more interesting was the people he worked for all noticed the difference. And they, they were tracking well enough to know, you know, what are you doing? 
in your office, you know, like, you know, and they, and finally, eventually he, he, you know, he shared the impact it was having for him. And it became something that they were much more regularly doing. He didn't expect it to have such a broad impact on his actual leadership. But what they said was, you're calmer, you're clearer, it's easier to understand you. You tend to be more interested in, you know, they gave him back the feedback of the impact it was having him just doing these simple interventions for himself to, you know, to slow down and breathe. So, and he became a big believer, even though he was probably one of the biggest skeptics I ever worked with in the beginning. So, you know, it does make a difference and you don't have to do it like, okay, everybody, let's do this together. Just start your own practice and people will notice most likely. Oh my gosh. I love that story. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And I love the impact on his team. And, and I want to actually shift into this conversation around team, which is, you know, as managers, oftentimes there's conflict on our team that's not about us, but where mm-hmm. we have two colleagues who are having interpersonal conflict or they have to work together on something and they're finding it difficult or, you know, are there things that we can do as managers to help our colleagues deal with the conflict that they're experiencing or, or help facilitate productive conflict for them? Well, two things I'll say right away. The, the thing that we notice that gets in the way the most is a tendency because of a leader or manager's own discomfort with conflict. What will happen is they'll say, you know, you guys take that offline and get it resolved. That is the number one biggest mistake. Or a leader lets each individual come to them and never really gets them talking to each other. So those are the two biggest mistakes I think that a manager can make. And the other thing is, you know, it's a manager's job to make it okay for it not to be perfect. Like, in other words, to say, look, I get there's something going on between the two of you. And I actually think it would be really good if we had this conversation here, even though I know it's going to take us off track. I think it's important that we take a little bit of time to see what's going on. And maybe we could be a resource here. You know, I know I don't like conflict, but I think each of you may have a valid point. So let's talk about it. Like to make it okay to to have that conversation in the room. Now, sometimes people will say, wow, that's that no way can we do that as a team. And it is something you have to kind of build up. But at least as a manager, if you get those two people together and you support having a more direct, honest dialogue, that's a first step. And then if the team is there and people realize, wait a minute, I actually agree with you. I think this is what you're saying. They can sometimes provide the piece that the two that are in it can't get to. And so that actually, that feedback actually helps to clear up, okay, here's the personal piece that needs to be identified, but here's the broader picture that also needs to come to light. And it makes it a little bit easier for that to occur. That's such an interesting approach that it would never have occurred to me to try and kind of explore that in a team setting. But I can see how when you've developed the right culture and the right muscles, that that can be really productive. You know, I think it's critical because I think a lot of times, and this is an argument, I mean, something we hear from leaders regularly, wait a minute, that takes way too long. It's inefficient. It's, it sounds like consensus, you know, and it's like, no, two people that are at odds with each other if you have a team that has some has trust and is willing to get into things, they are going to be supportive of each other and give really good feedback that can help the two people that are at odds begin to see things differently. 
And if they, if you don't do that, what happens, you know, most people in a team meeting know, oh, these two people aren't talking to each other. And I don't think they actually believe that taking it offline gets them to talk to each other either. You know, it's almost like you have to see and experience and feel the conflict and support each other in it so that you can see the benefits on the other side. Yeah. And I feel like I, I do that. Maybe it's just because of the way that I coach, but it's also something that I find just in general that when managers play the role of being a sounding board or a kind of thought partner, even to the two people as individuals to say, all right, talk me through, what are you experiencing? What is the challenge? What's the behavior that's bothering you? Or what's the issue? How might you understand? What's the story you're telling yourself about the other person? How might you tell yourself a different story? And then say, all right, now, now that I've talked to you person A, and I've talked to you person B, and you each have a broader sense of what's possible here. Now the two of you can go have a different kind of conversation because there's been that third party intervention in a way. And I can I count so many times where I've seen that work where I don't have to be in the room with the two people, which can sometimes be good, but sometimes can be bad. But just being a resource to people on the outside to say, like, let's let's talk this through so that I can still help you have a bigger picture than what's just in your head right now. Well, I, I could see there is great value in that. I actually, though, think it can tend to lead a manager to doing what we find a lot of managers get burned out because they're doing a lot of one-on-ones. Mm. And in some respects, it can help, but it's, ine- it's inefficient for one thing. And it also requires the manager to be very skilled at being able to make sure they're in a position to be equally clear with each person, which sometimes is hard to do. Whereas if, if you can begin to develop the ability to utilize your team or help support that, you're not having all these one-on-ones, which takes a long time to be able to sit with somebody and help them through it, then sit with the other and help them through it versus, okay, we're going to get together, even if it's just the three of them. And we're going to, it's going to be murky, but my intention is to really try to understand each of you. And I hope that's going to be your intention as well, but I'll start. That right there eliminates probably time and energy that that manager, it will help it, them not be able to be on the spot to have to be the negotiator for all the differences. Oh, I love that. I love that. Like cut out the middleman kind of thing and just help facilitate a productive conversation right in the room. Beautiful. So we are out of time. So I know it's so sad. You've been having such a fun conversation. I feel like there's there's so much more to learn here. But can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic? Uh, Yes. As I was was thinking about this because I knew you might ask this question. And I, quite a ways back in my career, I was actually working at a front desk and I often got feedback that I was, it seemed kind of angry and tense. And I could never, I mean, I've gotten that feedback, but this particular manager was someone who was the first person who was ever helpful for me, you know, because I always took it really personally, like, I don't become angry. I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me or, you know, and she was so good at giving me breaking down the feedback and saying, I don't know whether you're angry or not, Susan, but let me give you, and she gave me this concrete feedback. Sometimes your jaw gets tight, your eyes seem kind of intense, you have this brow that's a little tense, and someone's asking you to do something. You don't say much. You actually do go take care of it. But what they see, and she described what they were seeing, she said, now I could interpret that as you being angry. 
And it was the first time someone had really broken it down like that and not just stayed in the interpretation, but gave me a path to understand why I didn't get to the same interpretation and somebody else did. And she was so good at that. Like the feedback was really powerful, clear, and helped me make a significant shift. Now I know I have this brow that people think of as intense. And so I can actually say, you know, this is, this is me. I didn't have to get Botox or, you know, learn how to smile, but I actually found a way to kind of figure out, oh, I can uh, use this differently. So I always give her the credit for that. And it was uh, really profound in my trajectory. Oh, I love that. It's such a good lesson for all managers. Mm -hmm. And where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, well, a couple resources. One, uh, you could go to our website, which is www.thriveinc.com, T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com. There's a variety of resources there. We also have two books, The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage, and then also The Beauty of Conflict for Couples, both of which are available on Amazon. And finally, we have a podcast, The Beauty of Conflict, where we actually interview people in the workplace, as well as couples, as well as cover a broad range of topics. So, and that you can find on your favorite, but yeah, Apple, various places. Well, thank you so much again, Susan. I really enjoyed our conversation. All right. Thank you. Love being on. If you would like some additional help having those tough conversations, Susan has provided their How to Have Tough Conversations workbook to members of the Modern Manager community. To get this guest bonus and many more, go to themodernmanager.com join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter, which you can do at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.